to none dare call it ordinary's third bonus episode. Thank you so very much to all of our patrons out there. This one is a doozy. <laughs> this is a part of our clown colleges series unofficially. Mm. Uh, you're all you're the only ones getting this sweet, sweet third episode of that series because this one is personal. This one is a clown college. College of the Ozarks that Brent himself went to. That's right. And so this bonus episode is all about Brent and his travels to the College of the Ozarks. Guys, I could do a three-part series on clown colleges that I personally attended. In fact, I even went to a clown high school called Westfair Christian Academy. So <laughs> went, yeah. So that is started young. Um, after I graduated from the clown high school, I went to a more prestigious clown college, which would be Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. See, guys, I, I felt, quote, called by the Lord, which is another word for, you know, pressured by my youth pastor to go there. <laughs> so, by the way, that is the same youth pastor from the church I attended growing up, which, oh, by the way, was in the same literal building as my clown high school. So, man, church man. school combo. Yeah, it was, it was rough. So I left BBC after two years because I wanted to hang out and party as well as play music in a band instead of learning Christology, which was literally the name of one of my Bible classes. Oh, I thought you were making that up at first being. Uh... Nope, that's a real class at that school. So I moved back home for a few years and attended a real college, which is a community college, to get some electives out of the way. And strangely, Christology and Old Testament hermeneutics weren't going to transfer to any non-clown colleges. So I basically oh, had to start man. over with school. Oh, yeah, fuck. so that was uh, just scratch those ears off the board. But don't <laughs> worry, everyone. Don't worry. <laughs> I wasn't quite done with my clown education. So, I needed to get my bachelor's clown degree from a little clown college known as College of the Ozarks. So, here we go. What is College of the Ozarks? So, just over six miles from the Las Vegas of the Midwest and tucked away in the Ozark Mountains in southwest Missouri is a Christian liberal arts college called College of the Ozarks. That would be Branson, by the way, that I'm talking about. <laughs> Las Vegas of the Midwest, Branson. Yep. So they are specifically we have some Branson listeners, actually. So I, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's I wonder. True. I would be curious if uh, they agree if the Branson is the Las Vegas of the Midwest. I mean, is it is it that. like super dry and it gets up to sometimes 117 <laughs> degrees? Is that is that why? Is <laughs> no, I think I don't think he means like the temperature and the environment. I think he means that no. Branson, Missouri, is kind of another. It's a pinnacle of late stage postmodernist capitalism. Oh, okay, exactly. So it's also, so SIVO is associated with the Presbyterian Church. Mm. Um, so this, the specific clown college is located in Point Lookout, Missouri, and has an enrollment of just over 1,400 clowns slash students. So unfortunately, I didn't receive my big shoes and red nose. So oh, man. So you couldn't, even, you couldn't even manage an associate's degree in clownology? I mean, Christology? <laughs> <laughs> nope, just mere dabbling in the clown arts. Oh, man. <laughs> you would think all those years would prepare me. No. So they offer over 30 academic majors and bachelors of arts and bachelor of science programs. What makes College of the Ozarks so unique, you may ask, besides it being a clown college? Well, I'll let current president of CFO Jerry C. Davis explain. 
Quote, C of O is unique among higher education institutions in America. No tuition is charged. All students work on campus. Debt is openly discouraged and no federal, state or private loans are made. You know, honestly, Davis, let's pump the brakes here on the higher education bit. That's just keep that. <laughs> I up. heard heaven yeah. is pretty high up. Uh, yeah, it's true. Good point. <laughs> a truly higher education. Yeah. Um, you know, at least they're not promoting student loans. So that's genuinely good, at least. That's true. Yeah. So Jerry C. Davis has instituted five goals for the college, which stand now as pillars for students to follow. Academic, vocational, Christian, patriotic, and cultural. Noted patriot Jesus Christ. Yes, exactly. (laughs) According to the CIVO website... Our mission, the mission of College of the Ozarks, is to provide the advantages of a Christian education for youth of both sexes, especially those found worthy, but who are without sufficient means to procure such training. The vision of College of the Ozarks is to develop citizens of Christ-like character who are well-educated, hardworking, and patriotic. Okay, well-educated, it's a stretch, but okay. Again, again, Christ was very patriotic. Yeah, yeah they mean well-educated, they're educated in the well of Christ. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't extremely well-educated, nor was he very patriotic. I mean, unless you count the kingdom of heaven. Being yeah, he was patriotism. kingdom of heaven patriot. So the college refers to itself as hard work you. It places a lot of emphasis on, quote, character education. So, you know, try guys, try putting that on your resume when you graduate. Okay, so I see here, sir, you graduated with a major in character from Hard Work You, <laughs> and your references are God the Father, God the Son, and let's see here, the Holy Ghost. So that's not really, I don't know if, I, I don't think people should try that. Yeah, not the best references. They don't have contact information. Okay, so yes, the college is essentially free, but requires students to work 15 hours a week at an on-campus workstation and two 40-hour work weeks during breaks. So honestly, from what I can remember as a freshman, you are assigned a workstation. It's sort of like a lottery. You you don't get to pick. It's communism. Um, I was assigned janitorial services, so that was fun. Cleaning classrooms mostly. I don't think I had to do bathrooms, thank goodness. Maybe a few here and there. So after your freshman year, you get to select where you want to work. So moving up. So I I picked the library, which was nice. Very, very easy job. And eventually the goal is to work, of course, in the department that you're majoring in. So I was a graphic arts major and I worked in the print shop my second semester of my sophomore year. The old print shop. Oh, I mean, that. see, that's a mistake on their part. If you have a graphic arts degree, you should be working in the unemployment office. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) that's a good point, actually. You could also work over the summer, which would cover room and board costs. When I was a freshman, I was basically forced to live on campus because you uh, everybody is. And then a few of my classmates, I remember in my sophomore year, my second year, I was I lived off campus and had a part time job. That's when you knew you were truly independent. But not really. <laughs> so <laughs> College of the Ozarks stopped accepting students who want to get student loans. And President Davis says this college has a very low percentage of students graduating with debt. But it has come up a little and we just don't think that is a good idea. This is a work college, not a debt college, which I think personally we should start our own clown college, not our call ordinary and call it debt for you. Yes. A college where you don't work. It's all debt based. And when you if you do work, you only get paid in IOUs. (laughs) That's right. So according to a Forbes article titled 
Bible Belt Ivy, How College of the Ozarks Became One of America's Most Exclusive Schools, quote, President Davis has turned to point lookout Missouri's College of the Ozarks into a top 30 college in terms of selectivity. Acceptance rate, 11%. Its admissions yield, which measures the percentage of admitted students who enroll, is an eye-popping 83%. By the way, Harvard is 82%. Oh, wow. So only a select few can work hard enough to make it into hard work. And you got in. That's me. Yeah. You should have applied to Harvard. I (laughs) should have gotten into Harvard (laughs) instead. Different criteria, but okay. So here's some more fun facts from the same Forbes article. Quote, 75% of students ACT composite score is 25 or below compared with 29 for the University of Missouri. The school's mission dictates that 70% of all students come from the surrounding area, so mostly from Missouri and Arkansas, and 90% demonstrate financial need. Some 90% of the student body is white and in line with the surrounding community. So, so InfoWars people. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> yeah, you're InfoWars, your normal InfoWars viewer and listener. So Davis explains to Forbes, quote, I came here not to change the mission of this college, but to carry it out. And anything that gets in my way is going to have to get shoved aside. The mission is what matters. So anyway, let's get into the history of College of the Ozarks. So in 1901, James Forsyth, pastor of the Forsyth, Missouri Presbyterian Church, first proposed this school as a high school. He apparently was inspired by running across a small boy on a squirrel hunt that told him his parents couldn't afford to send him to the nearest high school 40 miles away in Springfield, Missouri. So you either go to school all day long or hunt squirrels. These were your only two <laughs> options back then in Forsyth, Missouri. <laughs> so that's sad. At least he's keeping busy. He should have went to Wash U. He could have done both. Oh. <laughs> Although How I many think, squirrels have you hunted, Dylan? Uh, I have hunted none, <laughs> but there. I'm, all I'm saying is there would be many opportunities. Uh, nice. On September 11th, 1907. Whoa, whoa download process, I September know, 11th. Yeah. This, this, is, okay, this should be an InfoWars episode, actually. The School <laughs> of the Ozarks opened. So guys, never forget. Squirrels were spared on this very day, actually. So that's, <laughs> oh, that's good. good. <laughs> so the first enrollment was 180 students with 36 boarders. The squirrel boy philosophy was baked into the school as it adopted practices of having its students work instead of paying tuition. So the original school building burned down on January 12th, 1915. That was a false flag operation. That was clearly, clearly. (laughs) Oh, that's so true. The Presbyterian Reichstag fire. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The school was temporarily moved to Forsyth. Five students graduated, which, by the way, that's just, we're all aware here, that's two more students than my graduating class in high school, in my clown high school. So, Yeah, amazing. The school relocated farther up the White River at Point Lookout, Missouri on a 16-acre campus. So the Ralph Foster Museum opened up on campus in the 1920s, which this museum depicted the Ozark heritage. In 1934, the Fruit Cake and Jelly Kitchen, big day, opened its doors to offer work for students. (laughs) That's cool. It's It's pretty cool. Uh, it's good it opens solely to offer work for students because obviously no moron would actually buy, let alone eat, anything as fucking disgusting as a fruitcake. <laughs> I'm very anti-fruitcake. It makes me nauseous just thinking about it. Oh, yeah. So disgusting. I'm going to say you can make a good fruitcake. Really? I'm going to say it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. A lot of people sell shit you've had a, You've had a tasty fruitcake? Yes. Do you like cake? Do you like fruit? Of course you can combine those things. I guess. <laughs> I'm going to make one. I'm going to make an official ordinarian fruitcake. <laughs> no. Just to prove both of you wrong. I'll even make it vegan. Nice. 
Let's give them a run for the money. The fruitcake and jelly kitchen. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> the ordinarium <laughs> fruitcake <laughs> and jelly. <laughs> All right. So I actually do enjoy the the irony of such a tough, hardworking, patriotic, Republican, red-blooded Christian American school selling fruitcakes. <laughs> so that's... um. It's an interesting combo. It is. Under M. Graham Clark and Robert M. Good. That's right. Mm. Mm, good. The <laughs> campus went through some radical changes. Firstly, expanded to 1,400 acres. Ooh. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, since there's 1,400 students, that's a student per acre. Oh, <laughs> man. Incredible. <laughs> Add, yep, look at the numbers. Also, the school added a hospital, expanded the museum, and built a Gothic chapel, which, as a student, you are forced to go here. Um, I think it's like, I don't know, at least five times per semester, something like that. The attend man, the this, this is sounding like the liberal Bob Jones University. Yeah, like five times kind of a is. semester, please. I was going to say, bad. it sounds... Yeah. Kind of like it might be a Mormon university, actually. If they're giving everyone an acre of land each, that's to prepare you for when you get your own planet later. <laughs> you got to make totally, it bigger yeah. and bigger. Yeah. When yeah. you go to graduate school, it's five acres per student um, <laughs> to just expand your horizons, figure out how you're going to manage all that land. Maybe there's further higher orders of afterlife, and eventually you get your own universe within the multiverse. So you just keep moving up. <laughs> that stresses me out. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of light years. To a lot of responsibility. After. I just yeah. want to hang out in the one I'm in. I don't need my own <laughs> <laughs> all right so in 1956 due to high schools in the surrounding area becoming increasingly available the school turned into a junior clown college among the exhibits at the newly expanded museum let's get a museum update here was the george barris 1921 modified oldsmobile beverly hillbillies truck <laughs> which was donated by the show's creator paul henning for some dumb reason <laughs> did he go there I I don't know. What, what I don't a think fitting so. thing. What a I don't know why. Thing to put there. Man, that's a good get for them. You it know is. there's people who want to see that kind of thing. Oh, for sure. So C of O officially became a four-year clown college in 1965. So in the 90s, School school of the Ozarks officially became College of the Ozarks. Oh, good. They're upgrading. Yes, they Rebranding. are. So since 1906, there have been 14 presidents, two acting presidents, and one chancellor. And thousands of fruitcakes left stale and unsold. I'm assuming. Oh, man. And it was actually 13 presidents and one president or one disease disguised as a president. (laughs) So we're going to be very accurate here. All right. So let's go through the student handbook. Some of the highlights. Here are a couple things you will find on the first few pages of the College of the Ozark handbook. Caricature camp. Every new every new student starting at College of the Ozarks is required to attend character camp. Character camp provides an enjoyable, intensive orientation to the college and clearly outlines what is expected of students. Character camp also provides an outstanding leadership opportunity for orientation leaders who are called, quote, mom and pops. <laughs> These select leaders are men and women who model the character expected of a CFO student. Throughout character camp, they lead the kids, in quotes, in their family through the orientation process. Okay, so it's like one big family, guys. There's nothing culty about that at all. Nope. This is actually the origin story of Colty the Clown, by the way. But this <laughs> oh, is how I forgot about Colty the oh, Clown. Yeah. Also, as a former camp counselor, every camp counselor knows you do not refer to people as kids. Goats. <laughs> goats have kids, but we're people. That's right. It's one little... uh. That's how SJWism started. It started with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the honor code. College of the Ozarks e- emphasis on character begins when students arrive on campus for character camp and goes until the student's graduation or other separation from the college. 
Okay. During character camp, every new student will learn about the college honor code and is expected to sign and comply with the code while a student. The culmination event of character camp is the honor induction etiquette banquet where students sign the honor code in blood. Okay, that's (laughs) this was a satanic college. Very, very Bohemian Grove. We're not sure. Okay. So other highlights, including from this, from the social media conduct section of the uh, handbook here says, quote, any material considered to be illegal, inappropriate, threatening, harassing, or hateful is unacceptable and may warrant disciplinary action. That's a shame, guys. Uh, Donald Trump uh, wouldn't be allowed to attend CBO, actually. So that's a sh- that's kind of bad. Aww. But he could only he can meet with the CBO students, which we'll talk about later. So, oh, well, see, it says any material considered to that's be true. illegal, etc. That's true. Considered by who? If it's considered by Donald Trump, there's an official considerer, the dean of consideration. Okay. Actually, okay, so I did notice that they consider, you know, smoking on campus as an infringement, which when I attended CFO, um, they had these things called DSAs, which are designated smoking areas. And, you know, back then I smoked like a freaking chimney, so I smoked constantly. And I was always behind, um, it, they put the DSAs behind buildings in case any of the rich donors happened to be visiting the campus, you know, would have to see the riffraff. So. <laughs> uh, smart. Uh, yes, smart move. So now Sivo isn't as... Also, little known fact, that's where the Democratic Socialists of America started. In, oh. the, uh, in the designated the smoking DSA. areas. Yeah. That's good. Also, this seems Ozarks. to be a kind of, I don't know if this is like a Southern midwest thing but they also had those at i went to kingwood college in uh, northern houston and they also had these mm. and whenever it rained of course everyone decided to become a smoker right it was very <laughs> frustrating okay so now college of the ozarks isn't as strict as bob jones university as dylan said so there's no you know fascist sideburn rules or quote establishing beards <laughs> to perfection but there, <laughs> but there is still a section on appearances so for example hairstyles and dress from the handbook, quote, any hairstyle or fashion that the college views as a distraction in the college community is unacceptable. Not vague at all. They mean yoga pants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Any form fitting things. Hairstyles and fashion should avoid fads that call undue attention to appearance. Grunge, emo or goth styles of dress or hair dyed in a natural color for either gender are not allowed. Tattoos should be covered at all times and... This is me making my addition here. If you have a face tattoo, you must wear a face mask at all times. So that's really <laughs> awkward and not scary at all. Also, honestly, I, I appreciate that they, they address the emo look in this section, which, you know, yes. you're caught looking like Jeremy Enoch from the Sunday Day Real Estate that you're immediately expelled. <laughs> Get him out of here. Deep cut. Simple, deep emo cut. Deep, deep emo reference. Okay, so students are expected to present themselves in a modest fashion at all times. I also like how, obviously, at some point in the 90s, they added grunge and they just never bothered to take it out. I mean, I don't think that's a problem anymore. Right. And and just so we're clear, it's students are ex- expected to present themselves in a modest fashion at all times, not a modest mouse fashion at all times, guys. That is <laughs> that would. Yeah, that would kind of go against the first part. OK, so to make things more helpful, there is a breakdown of dress for men and women. So here we go for women. Also, I'm going to read this as I hear it in my head when I read this the first time. Keep in mind, I'm reading this verbatim. Women shall not have more than two piercings per lobe of the ear. Body piercings and gauges are not tolerated. Shaved heads or hair that is an unnatural color is not allowed. Students are expected to present themselves in a modest fashion at all times. 
Students may not wear halter tops, tube tops, midriffs, see-through, or extremely tight-fitting clothing. <laughs> Furthermore, students may not display any portion of their undergarments. For example, any straps on shirts slash tops should be at least three inches wide. Short skirts, dresses, etc. should be an appropriate length. For example, shorts should have an inseam of about five inches Skirts and dresses should be four inches from the top of the knee or longer. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> jolly good. Ooh. Jolly good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> I'm not going to read the men one like that. That was too much. <laughs> Carry on, old chap. Alrighty. I was quite enjoying that. Okay, so men, quote, earrings, gauges, and other body piercings for men are not allowed. Men's hair should be kept clean and neat. Oh, boy, here we go. Hair should be kept off the top of the ear and should not reach the collar. Ugh. Mohawks are similar. I don't know about faux hawks, but mohawks are similar hairstyles and they're not allowed. All facial hair should be neatly trimmed or well shaven. S- here we go. I did. Uh, sideburns should be well kept and reach. Oh, you talking about they are no longer. I know. That's I. Okay. <laughs> this is this is just as fascist as Bob Jones. You're trying to just cover for them. <laughs> I know. This also That's might be school. more fascist than Bob Jones University because I believe their standard was the bottom of the ear yeah on this point they're sure, even worse if i remember correctly we just blew this off like that no one really paid attention there was people that had broke this rule constantly i remember pe- people with long hair anyway sideburns should be kept yeah, long. all the bad kids hanging out in the designated exactly. smoking areas right they, they were just fascist in writing but not in <laughs> that's right actual policy or policy enforcement yeah. rather so finishing up here makeup nail polish or other similar forms of cosmetics are not allowed on men so I guess, yeah, like we said, they do have a fascist policy. Yeah. Henry Kissinger would not be allowed to go there. That's true. <laughs> uh, so much jewelry. So much jewelry on a man. All right. So you you can't have gauges in your ears, but I have to wonder yet again, what is their policy on floppy ears? Hmm. So if you take out the gauges, you got your loose holes. What are you going to yeah, do Yeah, maybe these? you got to get them clipped. Okay. So under the, quote, casual attire section, it oddly says that both men and women are not allowed to have sleeveless t-shirts. Shirts with armholes cut out or even, quote, rolled up sleeves. Oh, my God. So <laughs> I, I, I just picture a bright eyed, ambitious kid going through all the work to finally get accepted to this college. Then once he's finally accepted on his first day of classes, he rolls up his sleeves and gets to work at hard work. You only to be immediately expelled. So that would, <laughs> immediately you can't taking, have rolled up sleeves the- for a casual attire. I wonder if I mean. To give them yeah. the benefit of the doubt, I wonder if we have the same definition of a rolled up sleeve. I feel yeah, that's, that's like wondering. that's the politician pretending they work hard. Look, yeah, that's the Paul Ryan <laughs> um, about to dig into the budget. Yeah, that's, that's his uh, right. <laughs> All right. So also the parking lot rules for students and their cars is quite weird. Um is another uh, fun thing. So for freshmen, basically, you you park in a specific lot where your cars are literally locked away. That so you so you literally cannot leave campus from one a.m. Monday morning to noon on Friday. Literally Ooh. locked away. Do they throw a cage yep, over your locked car? Locked away. Doesn't matter. You have an emergency. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> from the student handbook. <laughs> Here's from the student handbook, quote, when this lot is locked, there is no access without the dean of students approval. So I'm assuming the dean just has everyone's keys locked away in his office. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, though, we have Uber now, so. Oh, that's a good point. I imagine he's got one of those like dungeon keychains that's got a million keys on it, (laughs) but it's all the car keys. (laughs) Yeah, and he just walks around in a robe, you know, and it's like, oh, there he is, the dean of students. Okay. 
Now, once you become an upperclassman, you are allowed access to your own vehicle and, you know, you can park in any student parking lot you wish, which is kind of nice. <sighs> Finally. All right. So, you know, all we've been talking about so far has been really wonderful. So let's go through the controversies. Ooh. So the dean's, yes, the dean's questionable degree. Here is we this go. the dean of consideration? It's the dean of keys. Mm. No, it's the dean of the college. So, okay. So 2003 to 2004 semesters. During this time period, an assistant biology professor by the name of Jonathan Davis was suspended for the 2004 semester and contract not renewed for the next fall semester. The reason for this termination was for pointing out that in 1991, Larry Cockrum had received his PhD from a fraudulent college ran out of a basement, <laughs> a.k.a. a diploma mill. <laughs> The clowniest of all clown colleges called Crescent City Christian College. And uh, just to <laughs> be real. clear, Bob Jones University is far superior to any diploma <laughs> mill, which is incredible. <laughs> also, I'm not too worried for Jonathan Davis because after he got suspended, he immediately just uh, joined up with Corn again and they went on a world tour. <laughs> So it worked out for him. Okay, so the current college president, Jerry C. Davis, defended Dean Cockrum by retaliating on the professor who broke this news. Oh, so good. he broke the news of this past. Yeah, okay. So the fraudulent school, which was located on a ranch home in Louisiana, was discovered by education officials from Louisiana and Texas. It is no longer in operation. Unfortunately, guys, you can't go there. Um, and its owners have since left Louisiana. In Damn, shame. I really wanted to go there. PhD the easy was, way. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, wh where am I going to go? Whenever, I don't know what y'all imagine when you hear about a diploma mill. I always imagine that one scene in Catch Me If You Can when the guy is in France, like cranking out the checks, the fake checks. <laughs> I always, whenever I imagine a diploma mill, I just imagine a guy in like a warehouse just cranking out diplomas. Yeah, yeah it's like had a kind of working mill too. Yep, yeah, exactly. So fun fact, actually, creationist and criminal Kent Hoven, <laughs> he received his PhD from another one of these diploma mills, which his was called Patriot Bible University. Oh man, Kent so, Hoven, is he another, out yet? I think he is out. Is he? Okay. Thank goodness. When asked why Professor, the Professor Davis released this information, he said, quote, to uphold the academic integrity, <coughs> sorry, and Christian standards of the school. And then right after that, he said, uh, <laughs> like something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. It's a direct quote. Cockrum <laughs> accused the professor of, quote, embarking on what is tantamount to a personal jihad against him. <laughs> So it's his own private jihad. So, that seems a little extreme. Cockrum admitted that he did earn his doctoral degree from Crescent City, but added that, quote, my degree from there is not what I would consider to be a crowning achievement in my <laughs> academic endeavors. So, I, I mean... I don't know if you can even really consider that an academic endeavor, technically. But, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, College of the Ozarks issued a statement that it, quote, doesn't believe Dean Cockrum's character was has ever been in question. And as we all know, character assassination at CFO is the worst of crimes since much emphasis is put on character. So, yeah, they should have just put Jonathan Davis into a character re-education camp. Yes. A rehab of sorts for character. All right. So the college attorney, Virginia Fry, said that the College of the Ozarks knew about Cockrum's degree from Crescent City. Quote, he had been told if he wanted to advance, he would have to get a different PhD. The degree was not required as Dean of Students. So if you <laughs> wanted to do seems... Dean of Consideration, you would that would be something else you'd have to deal with. But <sighs> 
It's okay. Diploma <laughs> mills are fine as for the dean of student. <laughs> Got it. So the professor who outed Cockrum said that he doesn't regret what he did. Quote, I feel strongly about upholding the integrity of the school. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> this is the price you pay for st standing for what you believe in. The integrity. Yes. Wow. <laughs> of hard work you. Okay, so in 1996, while working on his doctorate at the University of Arkansas, Davis found out about Cockrum's questionable degree. The ex-College of the Ozarks biology professor sent out anonymous letters signed, quote, concerned faculty members. And one of these letters cited CFO's honor code for students. Davis said that he was inspired to act when he saw the College Keter Center for Character Education being built outside of his office window. <laughs> oh my God. Oddly enough, Cockrum is the director of the center. <laughs> Even more odd. Wow. Hey, 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 and, hey, it's for hey. students. <laughs> There's no indication that deans of students need to have good characters, just the students themselves. That's true. So about being fired or outed for his bogus PhD, Davis says, quote, this is one of the best thing that's ever happened to me. God doesn't like a lukewarm Christian. I've gotten closer to God. My job is not that important. Davis is now free to roll up his sleeves in peace. So that's good. Okay. Introducing a new controversy here, the Nike Kneeler controversy. Ooh. You guys didn't think I wasn't going to squeak some sports reference in here. Yeah. All right. So here we go. Nike took a huge hit to their revenue when College of the Ozarks shitty sports team called the Bobcats took a stand against Colin Kaepernick's Nike ad by banning all Nike logos on their uniform. So fuck yeah. CFO calls this the quote, no pledge, no play policy, which was enacted in September in 2017. It states that the College of the Ozarks Bobcats will not play against any team that is so treasonous as to take a knee during the national anthem. They much prefer police brutality against African-Americans to go unnoticed. Of course. Again, I also I got to I got to say again, I'm glad that this Christian university is very much thinks it's incredibly important to pledge allegiance to a government. That is when That's I right. think about Christ. <laughs> That's the kind of activity I think about. <laughs> that's that's him. Yep. In a statement made by College of the Ozark President Jerry C. Davis, quote, in their new ad campaign, we believe Nike executives are promoting an attitude of division and disrespect towards America. Wow. If Nike is ashamed of America, we are ashamed of them. We also believe that those who know that what sacrifice is all about are more likely to be wearing a military military uniform Rather I mean, I wonder what these people uniform, think so. of the whole campaign against Donald Trump's donors and all that, how that's like very wrong <laughs> right? to go after them, right? Yeah. I wonder, if they, I wonder if they uh, have the same uh, standards here. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I doubt it. All right. So Marcy Linson, which is the college's vice president for patriotic activities. That's right. <laughs> she is the, <laughs> the vice president of patriotic activities. That's a job. Okay. And hit... <laughs> Oh, and by the way, he also has a side gig as dean of admissions. So mm. I just imagine little, if you're the vice job. president of patriotic activities, that's just literally saying the Pledge of Allegiance over and over and over again for eight hours a day. I just want to know who the president of uh, pre patriotic activities is. I mean, if this is the vice president, we got to actually, you know, introduced you're to the right. President. The president is the one who's just locked in a closet somewhere, just constantly <laughs> citing the Pledge of Allegiance. So they can't be bothered to talk to the press or any of these folks. <laughs> 
Yes. Okay. So the vice president of patriotic activities says in a statement in the Kansas City Star, quote, Nike is free to campaign as it sees fit, as the college is free and honor bound by its mission and goals to ensure that it respects our country and those who truly served and sacrificed. At least they believe in freedom. Exactly. Okay, here's more horror. Um, Ranked the worst college for LGBT students. Wow. So based on all the clown colleges we've talked about, that is quite (laughs) an achievement. (laughs) So a survey was conducted by the Princeton Review, which received responses from 137,000 students from 382 colleges. The colleges were ranked based on those responses. One of the areas of study in the survey was the least friendly to the most friendly colleges to the LGBT students. And guess, guys, who topped the list of the worst for LGBT students? Yale. That's right. Hard fucking work you. Or maybe (laughs) hard work fucking you. I don't know what. Uh, (laughs) I don't know how I want to say that. Yale, although Forrest, in fairness, Yale was second place. Oh, okay. Jesus. Okay, so this isn't a surprise. I didn't mention it when covering the student handbook because it states that in the handbook, quote, sexual relations are for the purpose of the procreation of human life and the uniting and strengthening of the marital bond. Purposes that are to be achieved solely through heterosexual relationships in marriage. I like so sexual relations are only for the purpose of the procreation of human life. So they ban non-human sexual relations. That's really extreme. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man but c of o is fair and balanced as you can and you can also be kicked out for heterosexual touching caressing or premarital sex as well good yes homosexuality porn viewing and gender expression quote inconsistent with sex assigned at birth are outlined in the student handbook as quote misuses of god's gift of human sexuality i like inconsistent with sex assigned at birth so it sounds like they are sex constructivists and not just gender constructivists so hey good for them yeah progressive quoting from another kansas city star article quote valerie coleman a public relations director at the school told the springfield news leader that she does not consider the school hostile to lgbt people but she acknowledged its strict rules against what she called sexual immorality oh (laughs) Oh, okay quote we are pretty transparent about it she said that is who we are. We are a religious institution that adheres to a Christian worldview. So, yeah, they're not them. hostile to LGBT people. Yeah. They're just hostile to the behaviors that they perform. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going into the section I titled the required patriotism course. Beautiful. So College of the Ozarks is the exact opposite of all the other cultural Marxist universities in America. Why, you may ask? Because it requires students to take a patriotism course called Patriotic Education and Fitness. And it's a four-hour credit course. At first, I thought you were the reason they the opposite was because they weren't cultural Marxists, but classical Marxists. I think that oh, would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Orthodox Marxists, but no. Right. Nope. Just stupid. All right. So in a statement to CNN, Jerry C. Davis said, quote, this is about understanding the military. We will require everyone to take this class and everyone will benefit from their exposure to military science in and out of the classroom. We have seen a decrease in the understanding of our military and the important role it plays in our democracy. We will do our part to correct this. According to a news release from the college, the student in this required course will, quote, learn map reading, land navigation, rifle marksmanship, rope systems and knots. Can't forget the knots. And repelling. All the key features of a patriotic American. (laughs) 
Yes, the college experience. So say you're, you know, an English major at CFO. You find it slightly uncomfortable to have to train as a master rifle marksman. But it's not just this you'll be learning in this class. According to the Chronicle of Higher Education, quote, they will also study the formation of American government and politics, military customs, task organization and courtesies, and flag protocol and procedures. Got to make sure the flags are folded correctly. So according to Brian Sizek, the college's director of patriotic activities, quote, we're not requiring students. We don't expect the majority of students to ever want to be a cadet or even join the military. <laughs> so you don't have to become a cadet if you go to CFO, guys. This is good news. This is great news, actually. If you're an artistic commie who wants to go there and major in fucking sculpture <laughs> or something, I don't know. But <laughs> it's perfect. So hard work, you students are going to now meet the least working president of all time, Ooh. which would be Donald Trump. According to an I Ozarks was going to go with James Garfield. Yeah, that was a good guess. Did James Garfield also have five hours of executive time where you watch Fox News all day? Uh, no, he was just <laughs> shot in the fucking head. <laughs> According to an Ozarks first dot com article. President Davis of College of the Ozarks was so touched by President Trump's tax cut that he distributed the wealth via bonuses to every C of O employee totaling $204 a piece. Ooh, it's so touched. So, <laughs> it's so touching. <laughs> it was such an endearing tax cut. What a, what a gesture. Davis was invited with some of the C of O's employees to a roundtable economic discussion on economic development with President Trump and St. Lewis. I just honestly, I really love this idea of Trump having a well thought out policy driven economic discussion with clown school students. It's pretty much perfect. So the CBO employees that accompanied Davis to meet with Trump used their generous bonuses in different but special ways. <laughs> A faculty, faculty services supervisor, Renee Crooker, used her $204 to visit her daughter who is out of the country. Her daughter contracted double viral pneumonia and was placed into a medically induced coma, according to the article. I'm glad she, she need, I'm glad that they run things such that they, she needed to get a bonus <laughs> to see, to visit her incredibly sick daughter. That is compassion, true America, compassion. right there. Yeah. And then there's the other one, Bonnie Brazil, who is, uh, she has been working in the cafeteria at CBO for 13 years. She Ooh. must be getting that 13 year degree. No. Anyway, she said that her massively generous bonus went towards her retirement. The article says, quote, she made sure to tell President Davis how thankful she was for, for that and more. Mm. Brazil says, quote, I told him how much this school has meant to me working with the students to be able to impact their lives. Davis responded with this meatloaf is cold as fuck and where the fuck is my side salad? Okay, that's not true. Okay, he didn't say that. <laughs> I just pictured him saying that. The article states that Renee and Bonnie will be meeting the US president for the first time. Jesus fucking Christ. Haven't these people been through enough already? It's like, <laughs> no, but it turns damn. out that when they went to go meet him, it was actually a cardboard cutout of him and that's what they got. I mean, in all fairness though, that is way better. That is better. At, at least cardboard doesn't speak gibberish 24-7. Yes, that's true. So they each said that they feel lucky to have been chosen to represent the College of the Ozarks, and they are looking forward to meeting President Trump. Gag. Okay. 
So what do some of the students think? You know, honestly, I reached out to some of my friends. I went to a handful of friends. I went to the college with a few of my friends I'm still in contact with. And this one uh, friend of mine named Laura wrote me back and I'll just read you here because she said I could uh, what she had to say because I said, hey, do you have any crazy stories about CFO? What do you remember about it? And she wrote me back this. Other than the fact that it stands down a cult, I don't have any <laughs> really crazy stories. <laughs> Man. Uh, oh, wow. That's story enough. So, <laughs> um, she said her first job there was in the laundry where we had to call the guy in charge boss. The floor was <laughs> wow. painted blue and pink in different sections. The girls could only walk on pink paint and the boys on blue. What? Girls iron shirts. I don't, I don't know. I didn't know about that, but that's fucked it's up. It's funny if because so. that if is like, that's like an urban legend about Bob Jones University where there uh, are sections because they definitely have gender separation, but the joke is that right. it's literally painted blue for boys and pink for girls, but... Man, this place is the deep, deep fascist <laughs> college, but their policy is fairly, you know, fairly light, but they're yeah. fucking doing it. It's the opposite of Bob Jones. Yeah. It is. But, yeah. Like in terms exactly. of Bob, Bob Jones, in terms of practice versus uh, preaching. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So girls iron shirts and boys ran the dryers and heavy machinery, obviously, she says. Oh, yeah. The, the handbook alone would probably have some real gems of crazy. Try to explain what character camp is to a stranger. I've written... <laughs> She says, I've ridden in the trunk of cars like kidnap and like a kidnap victim to avoid getting kicked out for being home past curfew. So I'll talk more about that later. Oh, my God. I don't know. She says it all seems pretty crazy, really. The only good thing I think of it that once you found the normal people, non diehard believers and the CFO shit, you knew that you would found a friend. You know, being in a cult you don't belong in is a bonding experience in itself. Um, it feels like that place tried to change that. Your choice, your outlook, your belief, more than it gave a shit about your education. <laughs> she says a church thinly veiled as a college that gave no shits. If when you overstepped their rules, you went back to square one for education, debt free, debt free other, than the, other than your soul, if you'll let us take it, a.k.a. Harvey. <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was funny. It's like, wow. <laughs> So speaking of the dark shit, here comes the real dark shit. This is um, the a plane crash. So there was a plane crash. And yes, it's going to get really dark. In a December 11th, 1999 article from Los Angeles Times titled Investigators Seek Answers After Two Small Planes Crash, it stated that a Cessna Citation twin engine airplane crashed just outside of Branson, Missouri. Six died from the crash, all associated with the College of the Ozarks. They, they were returning from St. Louis, where one had received a teaching award, according to the Chicago Tribune article from 1999. And his, his, the teaching award, I believe, if I remember correctly, was given uh, because he didn't point out the dean of students had a diploma mill degree. <laughs> I believe that's why he received that. Right. That's it. Yes. Just because he kept silent on that. Exactly. Okay, so from the article, the school identified the dead as Jerry Watson, a graphic arts professor. Before my time, guys. And his wife, Pat Marvin Oding, chairman of the Technical and Applied Sciences, and his wife, Judy, Joe Prunell, the pilot and the director of school's airport, and Bart Moore, a student co-pilot. Wait a minute. So those are Wait all the deceased. Minute. Yes. They had an airport? Yes, they have a small airport. <laughs> what? They have, a, they have a museum next 
thing is a airport. They have a hospital. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, that's ridiculous. You're telling me I should go from, oh, I'm well, they you. have a museum. They have an airport. <laughs> yes. No, yes. man. Those two things don't. <laughs> Next time I fly back into Detroit, I'm going to go to the Detroit Institute of Arts's airport. Because <laughs> clearly they must have one. Yeah. All right. I understand the leap of logic is a bit much, but there are, there was a hospital. There was, wow. there was actually, they wanted their own, I cut the section out. They wanted their own police force at one point. They were trying to pass what? some law to be able to get them to have an entire police force on, on campus. So yeah, that would have been great. That would be great. Yep. According to the article, federal investigators began scouring the crash site Friday. Debris lay scattered over hundred yards on the Ruth and Paul Henning conservation area a heavily wooded nature reserve west of Branson. Okay, so in a 2003 article by My Plane View titled Report Reveals Info on 1999 Plane Crash, they state that a report was just released that concludes that federal aviation officers had harassed the pilot Joe Brunel prior to the 1999 plane crash. So, okay, Joe Brunel managed the College of the Ozarks Airport, that's right, and apparently was upset because he felt he was targeted unfairly by the FAA probes at the school's airport. Brunel was the director of aviation science as well at CFO and administered the students' private pilot flight exams. Sounds scary. The Department of Transportation Inspector General Kenneth Mead was asked to investigate the administration's possible role in the crash. The findings were released by Representative Roy Blunt, Republican of Missouri. And now the According senator, the article, one of the senators of Missouri, and we ooh, sure love Roy Blunt. Him. Oh, we do. To put it oh, bluntly. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Am I? According to the article, the National Transportation Safety Board earlier said Brunel's Cessna citation crashed due to the pilot error because it was flying too low as it approached the college's airport. It also found that pressure induced by others as well as lack of sleep contributed to the crash. Among other things, local FAA officials tried to re-examine Brunel's pilot competency and asked for his pilot logbooks, saying they thought he had administered flight tests without appropriate authorization. Are you sure this isn't just a Boeing airplane? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Dark. <laughs> oh, so dark. Too soon. Mead said it is a report that subjecting Brunel to a re-examination of his pilot competency showed unfair treatment and was inconsistent with the FAA's own policies. And he also said that reasons given for seeking Brunel's logbooks lack credibility. So the FAA said that they would review the findings, take seriously any recommendations, and decide what course of action to take next. Fascist. So that's a good time. That's a real good thing. All right, so that's light. Let's get into the a little bit darker stuff. Sexual assault. In 2018, two students were kidnapped and forced to perform sexual acts on one another and their captor. The students were sleeping in a car just a quarter mile away from the front gates to the college. The students had missed curfew by less than 10 minutes and were locked out of the college. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Yeah, isn't that fucked up? Sue Head, the college's current vice president of cultural affairs, oh geez, and dean of character education, oh my God, these fucking positions, stated to the press that students are able to call campus security past curfew and will be let back into campus. However, Stephanie Schweinberg, a graduate of CFO in 2014, majoring in studio, studio art, said that she was filled with shock and anger that the school thought it was necessary to highlight 
the quality of their security instead of communicating concern for their own students. Yeah, Dean of Character Education sounds more like Dean of Character Assassination. (laughs) (laughs) So alumni have stated that students sleeping in their car or away from campus was routine when they attended the college. Or you could always just hide in the back of a car, like my friend Laura just said, just sneak him in like a kidnap victim. It's fine. Alumni also stated that they feared being expelled for missing curfew. So the Springfield News Leader interviewed Amanda Oliver, a 2016 graduate, who said that she hopes the college will ask, quote, why students felt the need to sleep outside the college in the first place. Currently, students live in fear and will not contact security with student problems. They are so afraid of being kicked out. They are walking. I don't know why they'd be afraid of being kicked out. I'd be so happy to be kicked out of this place. Oh, my God. (laughs) I know it'd be a great day. Robert J. Hislop of Branson was arrested and, quote, charged with first degree sexual abuse, first degree sodomy or attempted sodomy and two accounts of first degree kidnapping. In Branson News article, they interviewed some formal CFO alumni that said that they completely understood why these victims would have stayed off campus. So Walter Watts graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology in 2013 and said he sympathizes with the students for thinking they could return to campus after curfew. While attending CIVO, Watts said he and others would stay off campus and sleep in their cars if we missed curfew. His roommate even had a tent he could set up in a nearby campground when he got off work too late. Watts said, the assumption was that if you miss curfew, you must be drinking alcohol, but that wasn't the case. Man, someone should set up like a hostel right outside campus and get some of this. I was going to say, get the some of money. this money. Yeah, set up a campground, make them get paid. So Watts continues, quote, we all had a small fear of the consequences following even the smallest misstep. Watts said, in large, there was and suspect still is a lack of consistency among security and leadership. A missed curfew might result in nothing, but there were cases of expulsion in relation to those missed curfews between 2009 and 2013. A 2015 Recreation Administration CFO graduate by the name of Titus Goodrich said she was, quote, devastated after reading the news about the kidnapping and sexual assault. She said the guards at the gate didn't care why you were late, just that you were late, saying, quote, three minutes late at the gate, sober coming from a worship night is still met with the same attitude, questions and intimidation as three hours late sobering up from a house party. Well, yeah, maybe unless you just came from a Satan worship yeah. night. So that's a different <laughs> sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, Titus Goodrich. According to the Springfield News Leader, Quote, violating the closing hour policy may result in an official warning, temporary restriction, housing status review, counseling, fines, or an administrative reprimand. The handbook states repeating violations may result in probation or suspension. So there you go. So Riley Miller, who recently graduated from CFO in 2018, said the college reminds students that for each person accepted into CFO, there are 12 or more that applied and are waiting and willing to take their place. Man, that's rough. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so bad. Quote, it is constantly shoved in your face that you are completely replaceable. If you step out of line, there is no grace or mercy, which is ironic since it's a Christian college. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Boom. 
All right, so Kelsey Forkner, a Texas librarian who graduated in 2012, recalled losing track of time while studying late on campus and having to dodge security to make it back to her locked dorm and have a friend let her in. If you, quote, if you are out past curfew, you sprint. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think the real road to tyranny is the road leading up to the gates of College of the Ozarks. Alex Jones had the wrong road. Okay, so now for the darkest of the CFO stories. Um, wait, 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 dark, one, wait, wait, darker than being locked out by the staff and then getting <laughs> raped and beaten up? Like, is it worse than that? It's a good point. That's pretty dark. Um, barely, barely darker. Okay. Okay, so this story, I have to give a shout out to my friend Cole, who also attended CFO at the same time that I was there. He hooked me up with couple of these articles that I'm using for this next story. And in fact, he's actually, he was actually making a, like a documentary about this, which hopefully maybe someday we can revisit this story and talk to him more about that. But it's really cool. So anyway, part one, according to a November 2nd, 1973 article from the Kansas City Times titled Mystery Surrounds Deaths of Youths and Ozarks by Mark Schlinkman. Quote, the deaths of two young men whose bodies surfaced Monday on a small lake at the School of the Ozarks here have aroused suspicions that the deaths were not accidental and that the, co the county's probe has been insufficient. A spokesman for Taney County Sheriff's Office said that they found no evidence of a homicide and that it appeared to be an accidental drowning. However, there is speculation about the validity of this. A private investigator by the name of James S. Winfrey was hired by the deceased family, and he had a different take on this tragedy. I'm glad they found so the someone that could have a different take because these people sound like yes. the same people that are, you know, saying that Epstein killed himself, right? <laughs> yeah. Same nonsense. A likely exactly. story. All right. So the deceased were Dan Miller Deeds, 20 years old from Branson, Missouri, and Michael Frissinger, 18 years old of Hollister, Missouri. So unlike Frissinger, Deeds attended the School of the Ozarks for three semesters between June 1971 to August 1972. Family members do not believe these deaths were accidental drownings. They pointed out that both of the boys were high school athletes and great swimmers as well. Mm-hmm. So according to this article, the two boys disappeared three weeks prior to the discovery of their bodies. According to a November 20th, 1973 article in the Springfield Newsleader, quote, the bodies of the two men bloated and badly decomposed floated to the surface. And a Kansas City Times article states, quote, the bodies of the two youths surfaced in the one and a half acre lake at 1058 a.m. Monday after an electrician turned off a high powered engine, which operates a large fountain at the center of the lake. College officials said the engine produced an undertow, which could have kept the bodies at the bottom of the lake indefinitely. Oh, my God. God damn. Talk about a time capsule. Exactly. <laughs> The last time the two boys were seen was at a barn warming dance at a new campus pavilion a half block from the lake. So a school of the Ozark student reported seeing the boys just before midnight when the dance ended. So two girls who were in the dormitory near the lake reported hearing men yelling for help between 2 and 2.30 a.m. early Tuesday morning. But they thought it was just pranksters, so they ignored the cries for help. <laughs> fucking, this is fucking hard Man. work, you guys. This is not fucking lazy work. Yeah. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Call the fucking police. I mean, at the very least, because of the extreme like fear of being caught after curfew, I would imagine that's not a prank-worthy endeavor. That's true. That's true. <laughs> 
According to the Kansas City Times article, Deed's 1973 foreign sports car was found Tuesday morning parked in a campus lot with keys in the ignition. The sheriff said that it appeared to have been there since the night of the dance. Well, obviously, I mean, with the school's fascist parking lot rules, we're, <laughs> you know, we're assured that the car is accounted for minute by minute. Oh, so we're yeah. Good. That Dean's got them keys on that big old ring. Deeds and Frissinger were working as cave tour guides at Silver Dollar City. The Kansas City Times reports, quote, Clarkson, a local funeral director, said the bodies were too badly decomposed to attempt a complete autopsy. False flag. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. That's a good point. He said x-rays taken by a pathologist. Also, the bodies, they were filled with legal papers about the Whitewater scandal? Very bizarre. (laughs) See? (laughs) Oh, my God. Makes sense. Uh, Well, we found out we're made of paper, right? Wasn't that in... um, Oh, that's true. We are made of paper. The Bohemian Grove. Man, this is all coming together. It's all coming. Alex Jones and Clown Colleges, it's all coming together. Download process, everything. (laughs) It's all part of one big thing. Big web. Exactly. Web of secrets. Yep. Exposed. So he said x-rays taken by pathologists in Springfield indicated no evidence of broken bones or wounds caused by bullets or sharp objects. He said an attempt to analyze blood content was unsuccessful because the body fluids were badly diluted with water. Ugh. Anyway, in the later article from the Springfield Newsleader, it states that Dr. Guido Pedretta, a pathologist who examined the bodies, said he could not establish accidental drowning as the cause of death. However, he also said that x-rays and examinations found no puncture wounds or fractures due to extreme trauma from knives, guns, or blunt objects. He said bruises would be undetectable at this stage of decomposition. Quote, advanced putrefaction of the tissues and virtually complete liquefaction of viscera and eyes. He said prevented extraction of blood or urine samples. The Taney County prosecutor said that there was no criminal activity indicated by the coroner's findings. He said that the accidental drowning lead is supported by the fact that the two boys still had their wallets and were fully clothed when discovered in the lake. And according to the School of Ozarks, they were fully complying with the dress code. At the time. Mm, that's good. Okay. That's. I that's also I all like right. this. I like this. It's it must be accidental drowning because we all know that. When a murderer uh, leaves bodies in a lake or other body of water, they always take their wallets. So true. Yep. Take the wallet. Take that hard wallet. All right. So director of the Region 2 Crime Laboratory in Springfield, Don Smith, said he viewed the bodies at commercial embalming services and said he saw no signs of trauma, but did, however, notice a, quote, roach clip, Mm. according to the article, which (laughs) is used... According to the article says, quote, which is used in the smoking of marijuana cigarettes on a chain around Deed's neck. So, well, they're we all to degenerates mind, anyway, so let them drown, I say. That's Get right. Fit. Ain't that true? Man, and he had it on a chain around his neck. That's serious. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I don't know. I guess jewelry policy wasn't implemented back then. Anyway, he was wearing a necklace for fuck's sake. All right, so this is where it gets even weirder. Dan Deed's father received a letter on October 17th, just five days after his son and his friend went missing. It was a large envelope postmarked October 16th, which included one page torn from a religious tract. Quote, a few words and phrases were underlined in red ink. At the top of the page, the word deed in the title, a beautiful deed was underlined. Among other words underlined, 
A cup of cold water, a tender smile, or even a sympathetic look is helpful. Remember, it's the motive that makes a deed lovely. This is like some proto QAnon shit. Oh, yeah. Or some oh, yeah. deontology type uh, Kantian stuff. It's all about goodwill only. It doesn't matter about <laughs> yeah. the action. So officers believe that the words cold water may refer to Lake Tanicomo, which is a fishing lake that supplied some of the water to Lake Honor on the school of the Ozarks campus where the boys' bodies were found. But I mean, why stop there? What is the cold water source for Lake Tanicomo, though? Yeah, we got to know. You got to keep going back. Yeah. According to the Springfield News Leader, the same person sent letters to Mrs. Don Ray and prosecutor Gary Alman. Mrs. Ray's letter read, quote, leaves contain twice as much plant food as barnyard manure pound for pound. <laughs> that so is fucking I'll bizarre. let you guys decide what that means. Yeah. According to the article, quote, Winfrey said a law enforcement officer in Taney County, whom he refused to name, told him three strange men with shoulder length hair had been seen at the October 12th dance. <laughs> However, police officer <laughs> already a red flag. However, police officers said Winfrey's statements were false and that no officer had such information. You know, I was going to say, how the fuck would men with shoulder length hair, basically unestablished hair, be allowed (laughs) to get into a Christian school's dance? And also, wait a minute, this is a dance? Bob Jones would be disgusted with the satanic far left school. This is very, (laughs) very gross. All right. So Claude Porter, the uncle of Michael Frissinger, said he didn't think the county's investigation would bring anything of substance to light because it would tarnish the image of School of the Ozarks and affect the Branson tourism industry. Mm. Wait, they have have a tourism industry? What? Yeah, What do they buy there? Isn't there, because there's like a big rodeo there. Like, that's why it's such a big place, right? Yeah, it's, there's, yeah, there's a rodeo. There's, um... It's just like a lot of shows. There's like Dixieland type stuff, you know, Mm. there's like country music halls and... Anyway... Okay, so quoting the uncle of Michael Fissinger, quote, I feel almost sure we're going to sit here with nothing. If I were them, I would want to keep it as quiet as possible, too. The story isn't over just yet, though. There was a follow-up article in the Kansas City Times on November 11th, 1976, titled One Letter, The Difference Between Life, Death by Stephen E. Wynn. Now we have to introduce a few other characters here. So I'm quoting from the article. Their names were Danny Fott. Only a single letter of their middle names distinguish one from the other. One was Leo. The other was Lee. Danny Leo Fott was 26. Danny Lee Fott was 27. Beyond the similarities of name and age, these Danny Fots were as different as night and day and maybe, in real sense, life and death. Danny Leo Fott was a former ministerial student. His circle of friends centered around his church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Danny Lee Fott took a slightly different path in life. He was, quote, known as a top lieutenant in a heroin ring based in Springfield, Missouri. <laughs> wow. I mean, the differences are slight. I mean, just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Barely. Yeah. No. September 23rd, 1974, 2 a.m., somebody shot Danny Leo Fott in the back of the head. He was also shot between his eyes. Police said that both were, quote, contact shots fired with a gun barrel placed directly against his skin. Police described the shooting as an execution. The homicide took place at a get-and-go convenience store where Danny Leofot worked as a second job to support his wife and four-year-old son. So Danny Leofot, it's getting confusing here, who is serving a life sentence at the Missouri State Penitentiary in Jefferson City for his first-degree murder, had an idea as to why Danny Leofot was murdered. Quote, 
Someone mistook the other Danny fought for him. The question of why someone wanted Danny Lee fought killed is more complex, involving another murder as well as the tale of a heroin ring run with an iron hand by a man once described as a Charlie Manson type that operated oh in Springfield and Tulsa <laughs> several years ago. Okay, so honestly, real question here. Like, is the Netflix series Ozarks based on this? Because it's sounding pretty close. <laughs> it should be. Sounding pretty similar, yeah. All right, so David Lee Fott was found guilty of killing a man who was his friend since high school. According to the article, quote, some say he probably will be killed if he tells the true story behind the murder for which he was convicted. The man who Lee Fott killed was Herbert W. Masters Jr., who was a heroin dealer. So, okay, Lee Fott's wife received multiple strange phone calls around the time of her husband's murder. On the witness stand, Fott said that he did buy heroin from Masters driving him to Tulsa so Masters could purchase heroin to sell in Springfield, Missouri. Even behind bars, Lee Fott is terrified of the man who is really behind the killing of Masters. He received a Christmas card from the man, he said, complete with Fott's prison number. So Fott said, quote, he knows right where I'm at. Out of fear of what this man can still do to him, Fott still won't reveal the man's name. Quote, however, he did identify him as the top man in a distribution network for heroin and amphetamine known as White Cross, mm. which is a nice name. It's a very Bible Belt of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> very white and they have a lot of crosses. So yeah, white. Exactly. Cross. There's Perfect. literally a giant white cross in Missouri, I think, on the side of the road. There you go. Fott's parents said that their son received multiple phone calls and even a few visits from strange men. We don't know if they had long hair, but there were strange men while Danny was out of jail awaiting trial. They thought the men were threatening their son so he wouldn't tell the truth at the trial. Okay, so apparently this heroin kingpin was bringing heroin from California and Mexico to Springfield, Missouri area. Sprott said from there, the drugs were taken to Kansas City, Tulsa, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, and a few other locations. Frott said that operation had been going on at least since 1972. He said about 10 persons together sold five or six pounds of heroin a month in addition to other drugs. We need to make a movie Somewhere. and call it the Missouri Connection. Yeah, totally. For sure. So there's somewhere between 25,000 and 50,000 were funneled to the man at the top of the Springfield operation at least once a month. Man. So sounds like our Patreon account. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Fah also said that at least one informant from the heroin operation was embedded in the Greene County Sheriff's Department. So it's basically the movie Departed. Okay. So, Fod explained that he, with a few other men, were at the home of Masters near Springfield on the day Masters was murdered. According to him, the dealer accused Masters and Fod of selling heroin on their own instead of selling it for him. Fod later, while he was sitting inside the house, heard shooting outside. He said the only reason he wasn't murdered like Masters was because he offered to help dispose of Masters' body. So Danny Lee Fott said that the two men who murdered Masters were afraid that Fott would eventually snitch on them, so they likely killed the other Danny Fott. This is all sort of adding up, I guess, since Danny Leo Fott was murdered just 12 days after the body of Masters was uncovered. But this is sounding, yeah, kind of a lot like Twin Peaks. They even have doubles. It is. And everything. It's yeah. crazy. Spooky. It's super doppelganger. It's like a Weird. small, small town. Nobody suspects the evil yeah. and drug dealing lurking right. underneath. <laughs> exactly. Just the surface. For the record, though, Mickey Owen, the Greene County Sheriff, said Danny Lee Fott was the prime suspect the whole time and was most likely the one who pulled the trigger and killed Masters. He also said he believes that he acted alone. Likely story. 
We don't know. Okay, so who is this big heroin ringleader of the Springfield operation? Investigators identify him as Bobby Jean Rance, 38 of Republic, Missouri. He was, at the time of this article was written, serving five to 15 years in the California men's colony, charged with the possession of narcotics with an intent to sell. And hopefully... He never becomes a patron or we're all dead. Um, but, <laughs> but we would first have to give him a shout out on the regular podcast episodes, which would be super awkward. But yeah, drugs are yeah. nonviolent crimes. That's fine. Yeah. If you that's what he's charged ask with. is if he if he did become a patron, he should uh, sign sign off as California men's colony. Just uh, make it a patriot. <laughs> make it a donation from them. Yes, yeah. that'd be good. So investigators believe rats what has connections to organized crime and quote, may have been involved. Yeah, they, they, they believe so. Okay, quote, may have been involved in prostitution, burglaries, truck hijackings, and thefts of bulldozers, boats, and farm machinery. You know, the Ozarks. All right, so this is the last part here, guys. So now we're going to tie all of this together like a nice, neat, patriotic knot. Oh, perfect. Um, okay. So that's perfect. It goes along with this one of the school's, you know, core um, core values, the patriotism. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's right. This is where the character shines. And through. also tying knots on pr- is probably part of that patriotism. Oh, that's true, theme. because we talked about that. Yeah. And that patriotic class. It's all coming together. Everything's coming together. Literally, everything will come together in the end. So in the article, an officer said authorities believe that the heroin ring run by Rance may have been connected to the deaths of Dan Miller Deeds and Michael Frissinger. So the article says a law enforcement officer believes that Deeds was selling hard drugs for Rance. Ooh, that definitely is not that's definitely not part of the honor code of the College of the Ozarks. That is not. No, you might get a demotion for that or expelled. All right. So the president of the school of the Ozarks, Dr. M. Graham Clark, maintained that the two boys simply drowned. He said maybe one was trying to rescue the other one. The private investigator hired by the Dees family, as we mentioned earlier, said it was really strange how none of the students in the school were willing to talk. He said that they literally couldn't find one person to cooperate with them. Yet another example of students of hard work you not working very hard. Come on, guys. <laughs> or maybe they, they were just studying and that's why they wouldn't cooperate. They're like, I need that's true. all the time to study <laughs> and to, you know, be the best janitor I can be. They're literally working way too hard. Yes. yes. <laughs> I think you're right. Too hard, actually. Okay, so the mother of Dan Deeds said that she suspected the killers hid the bodies in the lake, knowing the school would want to soft pedal the investigation for fear of adverse publicity. An investigator named Jim Smith said that is quote, Jerry Falwell Jr. running this school. I know, sounds right? Like, He's running sounds all like something he would do. <laughs> secretly. The shadow government. We of have Jerry no Falwell. scandals here. Let me tell you. So an investigator named Jim Smith said that quote, "It was no accident. It was murder." He said there were reports that Deeds had made enemies of several narcotic users when he sold them altered drugs to people he didn't like. I mean, there there is always an option of not selling drugs to people you don't like. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I would go with. That's the option I would go with. So one officer said an, an informant told him that Deeds was selling cocaine, hashish, white crosses, and other amphetamines for Rance, and that Rance was behind the two deaths. The officer also said that a lesser reliable informant told him that the two boys were, quote, killed by an injection into their bodies of a foreign substance such as battery acid. God. Oh, my God. But he's a um, one of the least 
reliable informants, apparently. Okay. <laughs> so, however, the Taney County Sheriff Chuck Keithley says that there is no evidence to connect Rance to the deaths of the two boys. Just so we're clear here. And so the mystery continues. So wow. nothing was tied together. You lied to yes. us. And so the mystery continues, but this episode does not. Oh, and this okay. is the end of our third bonus episode on the College of the Ozarks. And ooh, we're ooh, real ooh. glad to have Brent break it all down for us. <laughs> the the murder and the, the curfews and all these shenanigans. <laughs> terrible stuff. And with that, we want to thank all of our Patreons supporters. And we are done. Thank you for listening to None Dare Call It Ordinary. You can find us on Twitter at NDCIO, Instagram at None Dare Call It Ordinary, and send us an email at None Dare Call It Ordinary at gmail.com. For only $1 a month, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash none dare call it ordinary. For information on all our episodes, as well as links to our YouTube channel and Discord server, head over to our website at nondarecallitordinary.com. As always, we ask that you please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, or wherever your podcasts are served. <laughs>